0: Well hello and good morning Grace Vineyard. I hope you're all having a wonderful and pleasant Sunday morning. It's a bit weird me saying that because actually if I'm being strictly honest I'm doing this at 1.30am at on a Friday night slash Saturday morning but I hope by the time you see this recording that you're all having a great and wonderful Sunday morning. Now thank you so much for joining us today and for joining me today for today's sermon now for those of you who perhaps are just joining us for the first time today or perhaps you've been dipping in and out of these zoom services we as a church have been working our way through acts the acts of the apostles we've been learning about what happened next after jesus died and was crucified and rose again And then he came back and he walked with his early disciples, his early followers. And then he commissioned them to go out and spread the word and the good news. We've then been learning in this Acts of the Apostles what happened next once Jesus commissioned them to go and preach the gospel, ascended into heaven... And then sent his Holy Spirit to comfort them, enable them, regenerate them and do all sorts of incredible things. And that's the story that we've been following over the last few weeks and months is the story of what's been happening in Acts with Jesus' early followers and the early church. And gang, if you remember, Acts starts off in a really wonderful and invigorating way. You have the disciples there waiting, the apostles, the apostles and the early followers all waiting suddenly the holy spirit comes upon them three thousand members are added to the early church in one day you have other exciting times like when peter and john heal a lame man you have moments when they're arrested and then an angel comes and then opens a door for them and sort of enables them to escape lots of really incredibly heartening and wonderful um moments in the formation of god's church of regenerate believers on earth. But then, as we work our way through Acts now, we start to see that persecution follows these early apostles wherever they go. Every time they preach uh, the gospel faithfully, every one time they tell people the good news of um, Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, trouble occurs. And by the time we get a little closer, and bear in mind, we're on Acts 14, um, which you can just see above my head in a moment. That's where I'll be taking you through today. But as we get towards Acts 8, 9 and 10, we start to learn about Stephen, the first martyr, the first martyr to actually die for the faith, for proclaiming it. We hear about um, in Acts 12, James dies in Acts 12. So suddenly, you know, the good news and the excitement is starting to be marred by persecution and deaths, frankly, and, you know, a lot of physical violence. And this Acts 14 is no different. We're going to be seeing actually what happens when you faithfully proclaim the gospel and it's not always pretty. Now, so that's where we are. So we come up to up to Acts 14. In Acts 13, if you were listening the week before last, you'll remember now that the early apostles had got together and the Holy Spirit, after they are praying and worship, the Holy Spirit says well he doesn't say verbatim, but he basically says, Gang, I want you to take Paul and Barnabas, put them together, and they are sent off and commissioned to go to Cyprus. By the time we join them in Acts 14, which is where I'll be speaking to you guys about today. Paul and Barnabas have are on their first sort of missionary trip. They're now in basically what you'd call modern day Turkey. And we're gonna basically learn about what happens when they go and they start, you know, preaching the gospel in three Turkish cities. It wasn't known as Turkey back then. So you're gonna hear about incredibly, in the Bible there are always these incredibly named places which are hard to pronounce, but you're gonna hear about Iconium, Lystra and Derby. Or Derby. I don't think it's the northern city of Derby, but uh, Derby. So we're going to hear about their adventures and shenanigans and what happened next when Paul and Barnabas went there. So let's dig in, gang. I'm going to read through uh, the text first. It's Acts 14. Uh, well, then I'm going to have a pray and then we're going to dig into the scriptures. So Acts 14. In Iconium, at Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it, this is Paul and Barnabas, and they fled to the Lysonian cities of Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra and Derbe. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, directly at the man, and said he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lysonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out to the crowd, shouting, friends, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you the good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heavens and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Talia. From Talia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So let's pray now before we dig into God's word and see... You know every aspect of this store of what happens in verse fourteen is profitable in chapter fourteen is profitable to us. But let's just pray to the Lord that He would bring out stuff which really renew us, give us a real zeal and gospel confidence, as shown by our brothers in the faith, Paul and Barnabas. Lord Jesus, thank You, Lord, that we can all be here today. Thank You, Lord, for each and every person who has logged into there and is with us together. Um, for church today thank you lord for the wonderful grace vineyard family thank you lord for mark and jill thank you lord for our elders thank you lord for every member of the congregation those who are with us and those who aren't thank you lord for your scriptures thank you lord that they are god-breathed and they are profitable for us lord we pray lord that um what we speak of today is honoring to you and fills us that we may be filled with a real gospel strength thank you lord jesus amen so, gang, as I looked at this chapter, there are always so many ways you can cut and slice uh, biblical text and talk about it and make it you know, useful and interesting. And I'm not very useful and not very interesting, which is why I'm very thankful <laughs> that there is other resources I can draw upon to make it useful and interesting. And I basically thought... You know, we as a church have been going through mission shaped living. Hopefully, you guys, you know, wherever you are right now, you probably have these to hand. Whether you're the leader of a group or you're a participant, you will all have been going through as a church this mission shaped living booklet course. And as I was looking at it, and I was looking at it, what's been really interesting about it is we, chapter by chapter, we work through each session being sent, confidence, courage, compassion, connecting, continuing, conversion. These are the different topics that we'll be going through, some of which we've done already and some we'll be going through over our next home groups. So I thought it'd be really interesting to actually see and try and tie this in with what we've been learning during the week to actually see what we can learn about being sent, what we can learn about confidence, what we can learn about courage, compassion, connecting, continuing conversion from Acts 14, because as helpful as booklets like these are, and they are helpful and they are wonderful, there's nothing better than actually seeing these topics, these things that we're learning about during the week, borne out from primarily from biblical texts. So with that in mind, then let's, we're going to dig in and we're going to really look at what can Paul and Barnabas teach us about the very topics we're learning as a church wide outside of our Sundays about mission-shaped living. Because these guys really are the mission-shaped living kings. So with that in mind, let's first of all look at being sent. That was our first session of mission-shaped living. What can we learn from Acts 14 about being sent? Well, as you can see here, I started to highlight the text with it, and what I notice is, well, Paul and Barnabas—they're they're fundamentally missionaries, right? They, are, which we all are, we're all called to be missionaries, but they're always going out. I was really surprised by just how much, how many verbs of going and sending and fleeing. There's so much. These are people, Paul and Barnabas, and we can learn so much from them, who aren't content to stay in their situations or in their bubbles or be in a state of stasis where they just hang out where they are in Croydon or in Coulson, but they are committed to going. We, we as Christians are a going people. We are a people who are commanded to be sent out. Now, where we're sent out doesn't have to be so exotic or exciting as, as Turkey or Roman colonies or synagogues in Greek lands, but we are called to leave the comforts of our of our homes of our, and to go and preach the gospel and that's what Paul and Barnabas did as you can see here they went at Iconium to the Jewish synagogue they spent considerable time there they fled to Lysidonian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country we can see that they you know that after, after the stoning of Paul which we'll come back to he got up and went back into the city then the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia. There's so much in this text of being sent, being sent. And as I'm reading this, it challenges me. And I hope it challenges you because I do think sometimes we as modern Christians are guilty of holding on to our kind of creature comforts. And we're very inclined to kind of stay where we are, build a life where we are and where possible, not let anything shake the foundations of kind of the lives that we have built now I'm not saying suddenly that you can't live in an area, build deep roots into an area, and be missional in that area. In fact, one of the you know one of my favourite um, phrases I know I've ever heard is is that a missionary is not someone who crosses the sea. A missionary is not someone who crosses the sea. They're someone who sees the cross. By which, you know, I guess that's the statement's basically saying you don't have to be doing pulling a Paul and Barnabas, you know, every week and crossing to faraway lands. Actually, the land, the imminent area that you're in in Croydon, in Coolsden, in Purley, in Selsden, where at Wallington, wherever you are, is every bit of as worthy and as every bit as a place to do mission, to do mission-shaped living as an iconium, as a Lystra, as a Derby. But I look at these men and and the basically the example set by these apostles and you see that these are men and women as well um, in amongst the early followers who were prepared to travel and and leave their homes and flee comforts and go wherever was necessary to preach that gospel and so i find it it's a remarkable challenge and it's something that i hope all of us can take from this verses that even if we are stuck with an area that we don't become guilty of that we just don't become guilty of inaction Right. Even if we're in Croydon, that we don't just become guilty of just living lives where we just go to work, go home, go to Tesco. That's it. And that actually, we do go. We do go out to the pubs, the business clubs the schools, that we are active in our communities, and that we really are, even if we're not sent afar like the Paul and Barnabas of this world, that we are a going people. And And that's something, of course, with Mission Shaped Living, that we're learning, that we are challenging ourselves to think of where does the Lord want to send us in this time. And, you know, as I've said, sending doesn't have to be far away. Even during lockdown, we're still encountering people, whether at our doors or over the telephone, and that's our great sending. So I just think I hope one thing that you take from Paul and Barnabas' example is that we mustn't be people of inaction, very comfortably in our homes, very comfortably in our bubbles. But rather, we should always be looking to go, to be sent, to be available, to do things away from you know, just staying inside of our bubble. I hope that makes sense. I hope it's a challenge. It's not something that I'm brilliant at either. I'm very wedded to my own life and my own comforts and not doing anything outside of my comfort zone with people who are new or novel. But it's just something, when I look at what Paul and Barnabas did here, fleeing from city to city, moving from town to town, country to country and holding on to their lives lightly and the material things that they acquired. It's um, it's quite a distinct contrast to what I think what we see in quite a lot of modern christianity and congregations versus what the early church were doing something to think about the next thing i want to look at is examples of confidence and courage that's what we've been looking at in sessions two and three of mission shaped living is how to be courageous and confident when it comes to sharing the gospel and i think if we're all brutally honest none of us are superheroes when it comes to sharing the gospel we're probably all guilty of thinking in our time as christians whether we're new christians or, or very mature in the faith, we're probably often guilty of thinking, ah, oh, sharing the gospel, that's something for the pastors to do, that's something for Mark and Jill to do. Or we sort of feel like, "Oh, you know, we sort of maybe compartmentalise our lives and we feel that, you know, we can't really share the gospel at work because, you know, church stuff needs to happen, you know, that needs to happen outside of work. Or we tend to think, you know, because we find it difficult, therefore that must be God telling us not to do it because it doesn't come easily to us. We can always think of a myriad ways and reasons not to speak to tell the gospel to our friends and family and neighbors. And if I've learned anything from looking at Acts 14, um, you know, tonight, it's that there might, there's probably never always a right time to talk about the gospel. You know, there's not always the perfect conditions. There's not always like a situation, you know, the perfect situation in our minds where we're like, you know, if only, you know, the moment that, you know, someone does X, then that's when, when when, no one's around, when it's quiet, maybe we'll have a good meal. That's, I promise, Lord, that's when I'm going to tell them about Jesus. You know, we always kind of build up the perfect scenario, which never comes, which never comes. And the I've learned from Paul and Barnabas is, is these guys were willing to preach the gospel in good times, in lean times, and, you know, and in plenty, these guys were ready to give an answer for the faith that they had and to proclaim it confidently and courageously you see here when they went to iconium and they go straight to the jewish synagogue of course paul and barnabas were jews uh, although they're you know they're christians now they're from jewish backgrounds paul of course was like the jew of jews as he as he sort of boasted he really grew up in the faith and was very zealous and of course he has a very powerful damascene conversion and is of course now a, a regenerate christian but they go to the jewish synagogues because they would have had a cultural affinity with him and they speak boldly they speak boldly to the great to the Jews and the Greek the Jewish the Greeks who are present there and in that area, and it says here. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, even though the Jews refused to believe, stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, even though the situation was difficult even though the situation was hostile they spent considerable time there they didn't leave they're not like us softies like us as soon as the heat is on we try and flee from difficult discussions or awkward situations these guys quote spent considerable time there doing what not being not throwing their weight around speaking boldly for the Lord, they were not their um their heat was not dampened by the difficulties and, and the the controversies around them. They just continued to speak boldly, and that's something which I hope we've been learning as we've been doing mission shaped living in sessions two and three, uh, confidence and courage. That and I hope that and you know prayerfully hope each of us, including myself, start to become more confident about when we're speaking about our Lord and what He has done for our friends and our family. If you go down a little bit more. Probably the most exceptional example of courage and confidence Maybe in an I mean, axe is filled with it. But look at this in verse 19 and 20. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby that, my friends, is probably the biggest example of courage and confidence that I can imagine. I think often when it comes to reading stories in the Bible or incidents in the Bible, we're guilty of glossing over them really quickly. Just think about just how how harrowing that is as a scene. We've heard about Stephen being stoned. Paul, you know, in a few chapters earlier, Paul gets stoned and dragged outside the city. Think about that. That would be a Certificate 18 film. If we, we I, don't ever think, I don't know sometimes if we just read words and don't think about how harrowing they are. They actually happened. A man, Paul, who was just a man like you and I, had stones flung at him and he was dragged out of the city. Now, us as Christians in modern Britain, the worst thing we can have thrown at us are awkward stares and mean words. No one's stoning us with stones. No one's dragging us out of anywhere and yet i don't think we have even and I'm, again i'm talking about myself i'm not remonstrating you guys i don't think we even have two percent of the boldness of a paul or a barnabas who was stoned with real stones by a mob and then dragged out the city to the point where they thought he was dead it wasn't like a casual a ca- i don't know if there's such a thing as a casual stoning but you know a mild stoning where they just you know sort of like a, a just one up from a finger wagging they literally threw stones think probably drawing blood doing all sorts of horrible things thinking he was dead. And yet. And yet, Paul was undeterred. Such was his zeal, such was his commitment to mission-shaped living, <laughs> that he got back up, and didn't flee immediately. I don't know if this is foolhardy or impressive. He went back into the self-same city he had just been ejected from, and had the stones thrown. And he went right back into the into right back into the fire, as it were. So I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's an example of foolhardiness, but it's certainly very courageous, I think. And I, I whilst I don't encourage any of you to put yourself in those kinds of situations again, I think the, the learning there is, are there situations where perhaps you've been a little bit bruised or battered from talking to people about the Lord? And you might feel like, you know, you, don't, you really can't take another blow or a battering. And I'm not saying that you should put yourself in these kinds of situations over and over again, but look at the kind of resilience that early Christians and the things they did you know, for our Lord. And maybe this should be an encouragement for us to go back into these scenarios and to speak boldly. I think that's it. It's not just to, to run into really awkward situations, but to do it boldly. Now, here's another thing, and a very human thing, which I noticed as well in the text. Here in verse 22, it talks about Paul and Barnabas returning to strengthen disciples and encourage them to remain true to the faith now isn't that interesting right i think in this text sometimes we're guilty of reading about the heroes of the faith in the early church and thinking they were superheroes and they were amazing now you don't need to strengthen people unless they're a little bit weakened unless they're a little bit cowardly unless they're a little bit not sure of what to do you don't need to encourage people unless they're lacking encouragement and i think we can be heartened even though we have paul and barnabas and i'm using them as these really great examples that we should try and emulate it should be encouraging to understand that they and their peers did lack strength and did lack courage right often they they needed to work themselves up they needed to do things in fellowship and that's why church is so important we as christians cannot be lone wolves out there on preaching the gospel it's not a bad thing to do it if that's your particular event but we need to come back and be amongst our family that's why meeting up on sunday that's why attending these zoom services and doing home groups is so useful because we can strengthen one another and encourage one another so that we can become confident and courageous like a paul uh, like a barnabas so what now about compassion? That's another one of the topics we've been addressing in Mission Shaped Living. How can we be compassionate people and how does that impact our evangelism and sharing of the gospel? Now, compassion is not a word we hear commonly in our culture. I don't think I've, I don't think I've even used the word compassion. It's not something we talk about in our everyday speech. It's not something we read about, particularly it's not something we see modeled. In fact, you know, we as a culture, we hear a lot about passion but not compassion. I, in fact, I recall in our group, I actually asked everyone to just crack open their dictionaries and give a definition of compassion just so that we were all on the same page. I think we all understand what confidence and courage is, but compassion can mean many things to many people or not a lot to not a, at all. And so one definition which I wrote down, which is just in my little book that I wrote down was, compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another person accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another person accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering and i think that's the key with the word compassion because with you can be sympathetic towards someone you can empathize towards someone who's going through a bad situation but that doesn't necessarily have to move you towards action If we as Christians are called to be compassionate people, it's what we've been learning about in Mission Shaped Living in session four. We've learned that we need to be people who not only see people in need, but actually people who are moved to alleviate that need in other people. Now, we as Christians, there are many needs that we can see in our friends and family, non-believing friends and family around us. There are felt needs. Right. There are needs like, um you know, lack of food or lack of means. And that's something where there are many mercy ministries in our church, which is so impressive, not least Grow Baby. Grow Baby is a fantastic example of Jill, of Rachel, of other people in the church. Forgive me for not remembering who's who's on t- uh, team Grow Baby. But you see that there is a need there and that you've been moved to meet that need. As Christians, though, we know that needs go a little bit more than just doing Good works, right? We know that there's a fundamental spiritual need, and that everyone is suffering from that, right? They're suffering from that distance from God, from that having being separated from God, and so we, so we should be, you know, we should all be moved to alleviate that, right? So we should be people who are um, in our evangelism, in the way that we speak to people, that we feel a great, well, we recognise recognise first of all that there is that gap and there's that problem, but that we're also moved to compassionately bridge that gap and you know basically i you know what i hope we sort of took from that session on compassion is that we should be people who are moved by love and not just see evangelism as like an arduous or difficult task or not just see it as something that you know something that we have to do you know we've kind of signed up to being christians now so we now have to follow the, the, the the rule book the guidebook but actually it's something that it comes from the heart outwards we truly love people we truly see that they are suffering from being separated from god and therefore we will want to speak boldly with courage and confidence. So compassion. Going into this text now, where can we see examples of compassion? Well, well, it's in lots of different ways. I think even though sometimes you wouldn't always say that it's obvious, I have no doubt that Paul and Barnabas weren't just dutiful in their evangelism, but actually they felt a deep love for people. You can see down here when uh, Paul and Barnabas hear that the that the people in Lystra and Derby want to sacrifice to them because they've seen a, a, you know, a, a spiritual a healing, thinking they're gods. They call them friends. Friends, and I think that's quite tender. They're just calling them people of Athens, people of Croydon. They're saying friends. I think there's a deep compassion and affection there to address them like that. What, well, But you, what you can also see is it's not just... In the way they address these people it's in what they do remember compassion is doing something not just identifying a need not just feeling some kind of love or affection for sword towards someone but actually wanting to alleviate their need and how are they doing it well fundamentally by bringing the good news that is the greatest suffering alleviator um I mean, and, you know, sometimes a recipient doesn't agree, but that is the greatest suffering alleviator you can bring as a Christian is the good news, the great, wonderful news that these people are deeply loved by by their creator, by Jesus Christ, who loves them and has died for them so that they might, excuse me, a fruit fly is uh, assaulting me. Uh, that, so um that they are deeply loved by the Lord Jesus, who has died for them so that they might have their sins forgiven and that they can come into a right relationship with god and that is good news people sometimes it doesn't feel like it or you might feel it's too huge to work out how to talk about it but it is good news and it alleviates suffering sometimes there are immediate healings as we're going to see in a moment up there when when that gospel is proclaimed the lord does wonderful things to help people with their felt needs sometimes it's a financial blessing sometimes it's a physical blessing but it's always a spiritual blessing when that good news is proclaimed and people become christians and i hope we take from this part when we talk about compassion i hope we get a real understanding that in us preaching the gospel we are alleviating suffering everyone wants to alleviate suffering and hopefully if you think of speaking the gospel to people in those terms that you're there to help alleviate the suffering of people that will make you more confident and happier to do it look just very quickly at this incident above i've highlighted it in blue in verse 8 to 10. in lystra there sat a man who was lame so he has a very clear suffering right he has a very clear excuse me physical ailment he had been that way from birth and had never walked he listened to paul as he was speaking as paul was probably preaching the gospel or talking about it paul looked directly at him saw that this man had faith to be healed and called out stand up on your feet at that the man jumped up and began to walk now isn't it wonderful that we have a god who gives these gifts of healing to believers and access to that power um, of healing to demonstrate his good works and his kindness and that he enables Paul in this instance to actually alleviate the suffering of this man who was lame here Paul looked directly at him saw that he had faith to be healed and called out stand up on your feet at that the man jumped up and began to walk so that's wonderful and I know certainly at um Grace Vineyard particularly being in the vineyard um sort of stream in the vineyard denomination that we are people who believe that one of the compassionate gifts that we can give to both believers and non-believers is healing them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I'm really thankful that we do have a God and a Saviour who is compassionate like that, who gives us these supernatural giftings for the edification of the body and to also demonstrate power and works and the kingdom to non-believers. So again, I think we can probably take from this that and I'm sure all of you will have your own different examples from this. And some of you may have different things. But I'm hoping that all of us, in our as we go about doing mission-shaped living, that we can also see a supernatural bent to our mission-shaped living. And it'd be really good, I guess, in our groups after this to actually talk about that and say, as you've been having Conversations with people as you've been telling them about Jesus. Have there been any supernatural incidents or healings or anything like that that you can talk about to encourage others? But again, just another modelling of compassion. We looked at you know you have Paul and Barnabas calling the people that they're preaching to friends. You know they're not just projects; they're friends. We see that in bringing the good news. That's the ultimate, uh, you know, suffering alleviator. You know, we talk about compassion as as you know alleviating the suffering empathizing with people in need and alleviating that suffering. And then we have here supernatural examples of suffering being alleviated. So it's a full package when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. Another thing we can learn uh, from this text is connecting. You know, we've been learning about connecting. I think that came up in session five of Mission Shaped Living is connecting. Who are we connected with? Who has the Lord put in our stead, In, in our midst rather? we can connect with people at work people in our families maybe members of public that we encounter regularly like the postman or doctors or whomever we are not solo people no man is an island and in paul and barnabas's context in this text you can see that they immediately go to the jewish synagogue that's where they have a commonality with the people there they have sort of a common language that they can speak common reference points you know, and, and then they can take that and point it to the Lord. In your own lives, are there places where you can go as usual? Now, maybe not now in lockdown with tier two lockdown about to happen in London, but you understand what I mean in general principles. Where are the places where you have a commonality with people? Is it at work? Is, is it your family? Are there, you know, are there certain places of recreation that you're always at? It doesn't have to be a Jewish synagogue necessarily, but is it a certain group or some sort of fun thing that you do? Whatever it is, right? Look at this. Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. Considerable time there. When it comes to evangelism, as we know, you're looking for commonalities, but you're also looking for a depth as well. Right. You want to be spending time and drawing alongside the people you're talking to the Lord about so this isn't like a kind of scattergun way of evangelizing one of the ways that they're modeling here is spending a lot of time with the people that they're speaking to about the lord and so i think we as christians have to be prepared for the kind of long haul when it comes to evangelizing and doing mission shaped living that we are when we have the people and we've all elected people that we're praying for and you know as a result of the course that we these are people that we are going to be with for days and weeks and perhaps years um praying for and proclaiming the Lord to and helping them compassionately as we try and point the way to Lord. So hopefully that's a really useful model of how to do mission-shaped living. Look for places, you know, people that you have people in places that you have a commonality with that you can then use that commonality to point to the Lord. Now I know that we don't have tons more time left so I wanted to skip Continuing, you know, I think continuing perseverance probably runs all through this text. But I did want to speak very quickly about conversion. Conversion, because as you can see in this text, when Paul and Barnabas are speaking, when Paul and Barnabas are preaching, stuff happens. Stuff happens. For example, the people of the city are divided some side with the jews others side with the apostles when the gospel is proclaimed when it's proclaimed faithfully there's not just an impact it's not just you know there's an immediate impact right people are either repelled or attracted some people are baffled by it but whatever happens there's division the lord talks about coming to create division um as a thing and you can see here that the division is basically between those who are converted and those who are not converted you can see that there is a great number they spoke so effectively, a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Wouldn't that be wonderful after we come through this mission-shaped living uh, text that we've been working on, uh, you know, booklet that we've been working on as a church, that we become people of whom, through the Lord working through us, not through our own strength, but um, that, that as a result, a great number of Jews and Greeks and Croydonians and Coulsdonians uh, and Wallingtonians uh, and who, just anyone who comes in counts to us, believe. That's ultimately what we want. We want to see believers and believes and all through Paul and Barnabas's actions in this text, we can see that their words aren't sort of empty words or small words, they're powerful words enabled by the spirit, not through their own strength, not through their own learnedness. They're no better or more impressive than us. They're just normal people, but it leads to conversions and people believing. Again, when they went to Antioch and Syria, they preached the gospel in that city and they won a large number of disciples. So, yeah, I think that's probably the last thing I just want to take from this text. I mean, you could spend hours going through it. But we, like I said, we as a church have been going through mission shaped living. In Mission Shaped Living, we learn about being sent, we learn about confidence, we learn about courage, we learn about compassion, we learn about connecting, we learn about continuing. I didn't really address that in this text. And we learn about conversions. All of those can be found, all these bigger topics that we've been learning about as a wider church can be found modelled really well, really encouragingly, really Christ honouringly, if that's a word, um, through Barnabas' and Paul in this text. So I hope that encourages you guys as we're working through Mission Shaped Living to also look at how the, how the early apostles lived in a mission-shaped life and that you find encouragement from this text in particular, even though it's pretty harrowing, none of us want to be stoned, but there is a lot of really profitable examples in here and encouragements that we can take out and use to impact what we're doing in this course and for well, weeks and months and years to come so thank you very much everyone i'm just going to pray now and i guess we can break out into groups or do some more worship dear lord thank you lord jesus for the model of mission shaped living shown to us by paul and barnabas thank you Lord, for, for all you did with them and through them and through documenting it in your word so that we could learn hundreds of years or well, thousands of years uh, later um Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a good God and that you love us dearly. Please bless each and every one of us. And even though there's so much in this text, I pray, Lord, that you lay on the hearts of each and every one of us a really key core kernel of truth that emboldens us all to speak your gospel more faithfully and boldly with confidence, with uh, compassion, uh, you know, and, you know, all the other things we've been talking about today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.